0: in our bill of rights is the freedom to hear uncensored ideas and opinions to think your own thoughts and to say what's on your mind we couldn't have liberty without it now more than ever it's good to spout off to listen debate and participate here's your host of spouting off commentator columnist and all-around rabble rouser karen cataline
1: Welcome everyone to another week of spouting off and from not just my spouting off, but lots of people spouting off. We have guests. We have a phone line. If you'd like to spout off 603-816-1590. We broadcast our show live Tuesdays, Thursdays, and Fridays. And then that show goes to a lot of other places, but this is our home base here in Nashua, New Hampshire, fifteen ninety AM, WSMN and ninety five point three FM. I'm your host, Karen Cataline, and because I, um, I, uh, I'm, uh, you know what they say, you make plans, God laughs. Not in in this case. I had all kinds of things to spout off about. Then I heard the news. Now, if you were listening live. You heard uh, a bunch of news items. And I don't often do this because sometimes my head wants to explode at the level of propaganda, both what is falsely included and what is falsely excluded from the news in order to um, uh, make people think a certain thing. That's sort of like what they have in push polls, which is often called, which is, it's not a poll to find out what people think. It's a poll to tell people what they ought to think. A very different poll. They're pushing an agenda. I'm sure you've seen that before. The way the question is asked is usually, now I think a lot of people, especially our listeners here, are hip to this, but it is so pervasive. It is so constant, especially if you or an old timer like me and you have AOL HuffPo News, you can always tell what the media is pushing. You don't have to go to 10 different news sites because they're all pushing the same thing. Unfortunately, the AP and the um, United Press International, they too are on the propaganda news bandwagon. And so what you get is uh, a message that just keeps being pushed and pushed and pushed. So I jotted down, believe it it or not, four different news stories. Now, I may not get time to, to talk about them all because once I get going, my husband says, you wind me up like a cheap watch. But uh, <laughs> let's just get started because, again, I have like six other items I could talk about today before we get to our very first guest, but let's just take them one at a time, shall we? So the news, and I'm not even going to say which news it was that was being broadcast before our, uh, our show went live, because you know what? It doesn't matter. It's like HuffPo. AOL. If it's a left-wing news site, you're going to get the same thing, both the inclusions and the exclusions of a story, right? So uh, there was a U-Haul driver who smashed into the White House gate, and immediately the story was, and this is the story that was just repeated right before airtime, a Nazi flag was laid out carefully in front of the White House to I think, I am speculating, provide the impression that the person who's smashed into the White House with a U-Haul truck is a, quote, white supremacist. This is what the left wants everyone to believe, that any Republican, anybody who is not a radical communist is a white supremacist, dirty little secret. There's lots of eugenicists and racists and white supremacists, actual ones, on the radical left. A lot of Jew haters, everything else. Uh, Am I saying it's not possible on the right? No, I'm not saying that. But in general, conservatives who call themselves patriots tend to be law-abiding citizens and believe in stupid little archaic things like, the right to free speech, the right to dissent, the right to question—all the things we talk about here. So, what was repeated in a one-line news story that uh, the the driver had a Nazi flag, and uh, and that was it. Right now, the the media is full of social media is full of he was a white supremacist. Okay. His name was Sai Varsish Kandula. He's actually Indian. We don't know all the facts, although he did have a LinkedIn page. And once again, it takes more than five years for the Durham report to come out because, oh, they have to dot all their uh, T's and cross their I's. I said that on purpose. (laughs) But boy, you know, we know immediately the motive, the name, the purpose, the agenda, the narrative of somebody who commits a crime, I don't know, uh, two hours ago. No, we don't. We don't have all the facts. And it is the American tradition to wait until the facts come in before you start reporting all manner of divisiveness and narrative building, which is what the propaganda media does. So this person, I don't know you can speculate. I don't think an Indian guy was a white supremacist. Call me crazy. Although George Soros is an anti-Semite and he's a Jew, but that's another story. We do not know because doggone it, people are individuals and they must, must be judged on their behavior, not judged on some Uh, arbitrary idea of what group they belong to because you know what that's called bigotry Ladies and gentlemen, that's what it's called. If you make a broad generalization about somebody based on either who they voted for or what color their skin is or what religion or race or color or greed, this is what, as we know, I've said too many times, the radical left lectures us, preens, and virtue signals to us is what we must be aware of, by the way. It is not a crime to be stupid and ignorant, but they still lecture us making it seem like a crime except that they themselves are more guilty than anyone because they make snap judgments about people um, based on superficial things. Why? Because that's a collectivist thing to do. You see? I told you. Wind me up. I'm like a cheap watch. Okay, second item. I won't get to them all. Uh, oh, uh, one other thing. its uh, The articles about this uh, uh, non-white supremacist was an excuse to bring up misinformation lies about January 6th, two years ago, calling it a deadly insurrection. But it wasn't deadly because, well, it was deadly to the people that were claimed to be insurrectionists. It wasn't an armed insurrection. The only people that were armed were the Capitol Police, and one of them killed Ashley Babbitt. So it wasn't deadly on the side of the peaceful, relatively peaceful protesters. There were people who were not. It was deadly on the side of the Capitol Police that killed somebody who was on armed. There's no evidence that any of those protesters were armed in any way. And yet the misinformation goes on and on. There was a story shifting gears to transgender children was mentioned transgender children, as if this is a fact, there is no such thing as transgender children. If a person grows up Is past the reaches the age of consent and wants to quote identify as a transgender person and wants to make life changing uh, surgical changes to their body. That's a different story, but we don't let minors go into pornographic films unless, of course, uh, they get to read it on their grade school shelves. So uh, the news bows to a false notion because nobody has said, this has been fed to us, that there is such a thing as transgender children. Uh, And there is a person who's written a book who is a 10-year-old person born as a boy claiming to be a girl. And he has been characterized as an activist, a transgender activist, and since she was five. This is madness, ladies and gentlemen. Activists at five? She's fought against certain bills? Are people really buying this? Why? Because if you question it, you're called anti-trans. What does that mean? Well, you know, if you're pro-trans, it means that you're totally erasing the whole gay thing because now All that really matters is trans, trans, trans. Even the gays are upset because the left eventually eats its own. Uh, Third issue. This was just in the news. Protect doctors who perform abortions. So there are now bills going out to protect doctors who perform abortions. If you're a questioning individual human being who has questions and is interested in intellectual honesty and consistency, you might want to ask why these same people who want so badly to protect doctors who perform abortions when there is no evidence that the government has moved to um, uh, charge doctors who perform abortions, which are legal in their own state. We haven't seen this as a major problem, but the left always tries to claim victimhood before it provides the solution that they were trying to provide anyway. How come those same people make no moves to protect doctors who prescribe off-label drugs that the that other uh, radical leftist doctors in the CDC don't want them to prescribe? What if they're thinking for themselves because they had a whole lot of medical education and spent thousands to go into debt to become a doctor, and now suddenly they have to take orders from the who in the CDC? They're not allowed to practice as independent physicians. The whole notion of a second opinion goes right out the window. How come these people aren't protecting those doctors? You see where I'm you have to be unbelievably conscientious just to listen to the news these days. And you may not come to the same conclusion I have on a couple of these news items, but this was a two-minute newscast, ladies and gentlemen, a two-minute newscast. How about that? And within that are omissions, omissions, sins of of lies and untruths, and no wonder they want to brand their political opposition as engaging in myths and disinformation. That's what they do, ladies and gentlemen, and they do it every single day and twice on Shabbos. All right, we're going to take a break. When we come back, we're going to have our first guest. I'll tell you about him when we come back. You're listening to Spouting Off here on WSMN and elsewhere. Stay tuned.
0: You're listening to Spouting Off with Karen Cataline. Hello, I'm Mike Lindell, inventor
2: of MyPillow. Thanks to your support, you've helped make MyPillow become one of the fastest growing companies in America. Over the last 12 years, you've helped MyPillow create thousands of jobs right here in the USA. Every MyPillow is made with passion here in my home state of Minnesota to ensure you get the best sleep of your life.
3: One of the things that I really like about MyPillow
1: is the support. It gives my neck a little hug. I've
4: never slept better in my life.
5: What's better than a great night's sleep?
2: Call or go online to take advantage of my best off forever. For a limited time, when you use your promo code, you can get premium my pillows regularly $69.98, now only $2998. With our 60-day money-back guarantee, you have nothing to lose. Sleep well,
3: America! Call one eight hundred eight six seven
1: zero four one six 867 416 and use the promo code RAM. R-A-M. That's one eight hundred eight six seven zero four one six 867 416 and use the promo code RAM. For the best night's
3: sleep in the whole wide world, visit my pillow. Put a frog
6: in a pot of boiling water and it'll jump right out. But put a frog in a pot of cool water and slowly heat it up, that frog will boil. As a metaphor for us and all that we go through as veterans, it's a story that rings true. We learn to endure the heat in silence. We apply what we learn to life. The bills, the job, the family. Things we're expected to handle with ease. When life heats up around us, we just try to stay afloat. We let the water boil. Reaching out isn't easy, but you've never been interested in easy. You join because you are not afraid of hard work. You are not a frog. If you or a veteran you know needs support, don't wait until the water boils. Reach out. Find resources at va.gov reach. That's reach, brought to you by the United States Department of Veterans Affairs and the Ad Council.
3: Spouting off with Karen Cataline will return in a moment. The Reading Foundation provides evaluation and tutorial programs based upon the Orton-Gillingham philosophy of learning, based upon the study of language, how children acquire language, and the mechanisms involved in learning. All the learning pathways of the brain, visual, auditory, kinesthetic and tactile are addressed and strengthened to build a strong foundation for the acquisition of reading skills. If you are interested in learning more, please contact the Reading Foundation for more information. The Reading Foundation is at 10 Northern Boulevard, Unit 19, Amherst, New Hampshire, 03031, or you can email us at Reading Foundation underscore RF at Yahoo.com. And of course, you can call anytime at 603 882 0992. The Reading Foundation, Amherst, New Hampshire.
0: And now, more spouting off with Karen Cataline.
3: Welcome
1: back, everyone, to Spouting Off. I'm your host, Karen Cataline. And Spouting Off used to be, ah, in some circles it still is, a pejorative. Well, that person, all they're doing is spouting off, meaning they don't know what they're talking about. Well, no, they're actually expressing an opinion and calling it like they see them, which used to be a sacrosanct and is still a fundamental First Amendment right in this country. So that's why our show, among others, is called spouting off, to speak without censoring yourself and saying what's on your mind. Here, as our first guest, is somebody I'm so delighted to meet for the first time. His name is J.P. Kirby, and he's the Director of Student Rights at Young Americans for Liberty, Uh, He has helped millions of students restore their liberties on college campuses across the country. How relevant is that? Thank you, J.P. Kirby, for coming on the air with us here on Spouting Off.
4: Absolutely. So happy to be here today. Happy to meet you as well.
1: (laughs) Well, it's great to have you. And I'll tell you, uh, uh, nothing could be more I hate to call it, but I will, the belly of the beast. Now, it used to be that it was just sort of localized in college campuses, but we know the radical left never stops trying to impose its leftist views on everyone. And now they're to the point of persecuting, prosecuting, and framing, and bullying, and intimidating people if they dare to disagree with the radical totalitarian left. Not that I have opinions about this, you understand. (laughs) I want to know from you what you're doing. This organization sounds fascinating, and it sounds immensely challenging. Tell us about it.
4: Yeah, absolutely. So the student rights campaign um, fights to teach students that they can push back against these radical leftist agendas, that they can push back against the campus bureaucrats that usually have very Marxist ideologies uh, that basically tell students, you are here uh, during the four to five to six years you're here on this campus, you have to ask permission from us for just about everything you do. You have to, you know, you go to a college campus and it's like a permission slip factory. Uh, you, Go at these times, this many times a day to get your food. The, the gym is open this many, this amount of time. You can only be on this, these parts of campus. Uh, and that goes to free speech as well. On a lot of campuses, uh, students all over the country are dealing with the idea of, okay, well, if you want to share your ideology, then you have to get permission from us. We have to approve your uh, reservation on campus, and you have to be in a particular area of campus in order to do, order to share your views. And uh, we know like that whenever you have these systems zones? where, uh, like, sorry, like go ahead.
1: Free, you mean like free speech zones like that, which uh, is preposterous,
3: yes. like that.
4: Yeah. Absolutely, these free okay. speech zones that they that are called free speech zones in this the. <laughs> schools hype them up as these areas of free expression uh, when really they're a way to censor and contain the students who are trying to speak into particular areas uh, and really cut down on the reach of their message.
1: Correct. Correct. Now, do they, are they selective? This is almost a rhetorical question as to who can, who must use those free speech zones? Are they as um, 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 strict about it? with radical leftist policies with which they agree, or just people who dare to disagree?
4: You know, it's funny how that usually works when there are rules made by bureaucrats that have Marxist agenda. When you're talking about um, recently, we had a situation at Arizona State University. We're happy to announce that um, our p- appeal was successful in defense of our student, Tim Tyson, uh who was arrested last year for handing out constitutions at his table. Uh, Arizona State wow. had this, <laughs> yeah, Arizona State had an area on campus that um, they were just very, very strict about these students needing to get this permission slip, and Tim said that he was going to pass out constitutions and open and public space. And uh, the school sent the university police department, arrested him, and then later pressed charges of criminal trespassing uh, just for him being out on On campus sharing constitution.
1: Criminal trespassing on his own campus? Correct. Uh, Where was this? On the public street? Uh, Where was it?
4: Oh, this was in uh, an open and public space on campus, sort of their campus quad, right? Where... Right. If you as a student were just going to figure, hey, I'm going to go out and share my ideas with were, with students wherever they are at on campus. Um, uh-huh. He set up a table in the campus quad, Memorial Union, um, tens, tens of feet away from any sort of doorway, any uh-huh. sort of other student group huh? just out there on his own trying to approach students with his well, constitution. Well, and, and,
1: and such a yeah. radical idea in a state Funded college mm-hmm. and university to hand out a constitution. Does exactly. this not accentuate where people are that have the power on campus? They are offended by the United States constitution. Let's uh, move to how you help students on campus. And if you have any outrageous stories first, and then maybe we'll go to the more positive things of what people can mm-hmm, do. Mm-hmm. That's usually what we do. But, but yeah, us, absolutely. Us, so I the, mean, way, the way, way that we typically help yeah.
4: students who are having problems with these, uh, with these free speech issues on campus, if it's a situation like Tim, which is one of our more outrageous stories, just handing out Constitution, police cruiser pulls up, takes him to jail, um, when we have situations like this, we connect our students with legal partners such as the Liberty Justice Center, who helped Tim with his appeal, such as Alliance Defending Freedom, ADF, such as Foundation for Individual Rights and Expression, FIRE, uh, nonprofit partners that, that help us with the legal side of things, being able to file legal defenses for our students. We work with the students uh, in a proactive way to try to uh, repeal these policies on campus by petitioning the administration, by building a movement on campus with our student rights campaign to convince the school to drop these policies before they're ever enforced on campus. And we've had a lot of success with that, getting policies changed proactively so that these schools don't have this card up their sleeve to play later on students they don't like what they're saying. Mm -hmm. But when we have situations like Tim's, we are able to connect them with uh, legal experts and lawyers that are able to file the right appeals and potentially file lawsuits against the school to be able to, um, you know, force the school to change the policy through the power of the courts. And in places like Arizona, in places like Alabama, where we just got a big Supreme Court of Alabama victory uh, at University of Alabama Huntsville. A lot of times these lawsuits are basically just holding the schools accountable to state law, much less federal constitutional precedent. And so it's a lot of people would be shocked to find out how many college campuses are college campuses are willing to go against state law uh, to hold on to their methods of censorship.
1: Yeah, well, they do have friendly judges in many places that will uphold unjust laws. Uh, mm-hmm. What about this this social contagion, I dare call it a virus, of telling people uh, what they must refer to others as in mm-hmm. the form of pronouns? Uh, this is a brazen violation of free speech. How does it play out on the radical leftist college campuses and what are you seeing there?
4: What I'm seeing, I'm seeing, uh, it's a lot of social pressure. This is, this comes from the social pressure of of classrooms where professors are enforcing uh, this sort of, uh, you know, this compelled speech. And that's what it comes down to. You know, it's either it's professors in classrooms. Sometimes professors themselves are under pressure from the university administration to uh, use these pronouns in their classrooms. And sometimes Uh, It is just, you know, we've seen how the cancel culture mobs can come out when a professor or student uh, refused to, you know, participate in this compelled form of speech. Uh, They like to come out of the woodwork and really make professors and and students' lives very difficult um, who are not going along with that. But that's part of our fundamental rights. Part of freedom of speech is not just the right to uh proclaim your beliefs but the right to not participate in things that you do not agree with that are against your conscience you know freedom of uh of religion is in the first amendment as well and when you have radical schools compelling students to speak uh things that they don't agree with um you know if they face punishments with that um you know there are legal groups that that will defend we work with a, a legal partner um, First Liberty that has defended uh, students and teachers and professors alike from this sort of compelled speech. So whenever yeah. that happens we are able to to yeah. get so JP, students.
1: I just connected. want to point out and it, it may be a secondary point, that while I totally appreciate the religious aspects of the compelled speech. You do not have to be religious nope. or make it a religious argument. Uh, to be told that you must now use words to refer to other people or you Absolutely. will be bullied and intimidated. So yeah, uh, exactly. I think the, and the exactly to your
4: point, when you're talking yes. about the, for example, the, these, these authoritarian schools trying to enforce their COVID lockdown agendas on students.
5: Exactly. They
4: yes. sort of use the other side of that argument that you're saying where the only way that you could get an exemption from these, you know, the the vaccines in order to go to classes was to have a religious exemption. Well, where does that leave the rest of the students who don't have that same religious compulsion, are you going to sit through and and judge each person's religious beliefs yeah. and say, yes, you do believe well, that. that's Don't what they that. wanted, And do. they were leaving students no recourse <laughs> to just make their own decisions based on their yeah. own conscience.
1: Yeah. JP, I want to ask one more question before we get to what people can do, but it goes to the courage to stand up and speak out no matter how old you are. But I'm sure that there are people that have come to you from whatever college they're at that they fundamentally disagree with something that is being pushed upon them in these radical indoctrination camps, but they're reticent to go through what your student went through, to have to get an attorney and to have to fight and fight and fight in order simply to give out a constitution on a college campus. Mm -hmm. Um, It's easier. They make it easier to go along, whether you agree or not, but it isn't easier. It's never easier. So what do you tell some of your reticent people when they know it is going to cause them a lot of grief and aggravation? And the illusion is, if I just go along, they'll leave me alone. They never leave you alone. But what do you tell them?
4: I tell them something that I heard a particular speaker, Lou Perez, say several years ago, is, is that where, where, is, where do you draw the line here in your life? Because... Where you're right now as a young person, presumably unmarried, without children, without a family you have to support and and do your job. Is this going to get easier when you're out in the workforce? When your boss tells you you have to uh, comply with these things? When it's going to be easier for you to move up the ladder if you go along with with the you know the agenda that's being pushed on you? This is our training ground. This is your opportunity as a student who is facing. Persecution and facing, um, you know, this authoritarianism. You will never have a better opportunity to learn how to stand up and face your rights than right now on a college campus. Because yeah. if you truly believe about your freedoms and your personal beliefs being respected, then this is the first baby step, and it's never going to get easier than right now. And you have so many resources as a college student. You have you have certain legal protections against retaliation. There are, especially if you're going to a public campus, we have real legal ways to defend you that we won't have in your workplace when you when you go out into the real world. And so right now, I, what I really have to say to the students is, you know, we all know that the cost of liberty is eternal vigilance. And right now, this is the, it may seem hard. It seems difficult to go up against your professors, against the school bureaucracy, but we've won before. We know what it looks like to go up and win these battles. And I ask them to take the leap right now in this period of time where you have the opportunity right. to use your resources and to stand up right now and learn how to be the organizer and the Liberty Warrior that you can be later in your life when it becomes more difficult. So that's what, what I tell, you- tell my students right now. Mm-hmm. That this is the opportunity um, that you're going to have to be able to change policy and, and right. stand up for your rights without we have only having to worry two about two
1: minutes. We're ha- we have only about two minutes. We're going to have to wrap it up. But I wanted you to talk briefly about the fact that you have had a lot of successes in ending mask and vaccine mandates, yes. removing pepper spray bans, defended free speech on all kinds of places. Talk Absolutely. about that quickly and how people can help you to do more of what you're doing.
4: Absolutely so we have through the fight for free speech and our student rights campaign we have brought rights back to two million students every year on college campuses from the from the campuses we've affected you're right we we've gotten we were first in front from the beginning of 2020 fighting against the COVID tyranny on college campuses we understand that students are are in these isolated environments and we have processes, and we have connections to legal groups that we help get students organized, teach them how to reach out to their classmates and affect change. And when worse comes to worse, we have resources to get them connected with legal with legal groups. So if anybody out there wants to help, they can go to yaliberty.org slash SRC, as in Student Rights Campaign. Uh, if you have any if you are a student or have children or anybody on college campuses that are running into problems and tyranny and they want to fight back, you can email src at yaliberty.org, student rights campaign, src at yaliberty.org. I'd love to talk to them and, and give them the tools that they need to be able to organize and push back against tyranny on campus.
1: Boy, oh boy, that was great. You've done this before and uh, you're very articulate for the cause. We'll have to have you back. P. Kirby from Young Americans for Liberty. Thanks so much for joining us.
4: Thank you so much.
1: Great. When we come back, we'll have Mark Sherwood joining us and I'll tell you about what we'll talk about in just a minute. Don't go away. You're listening to Spouting Off.
0: You're listening to Spouting Off with Karen Cataline.
7: We are being censored. America's news outlets no longer provide the truth. Ninety percent of news outlets in the United States are controlled by six corporations. They're not out to tell you the truth of what's happening. They're out to tell you the picture of the world that they represent. The mission of the Epoch Times is to chase the truth, to ground all statements and facts, and prevent people from being misled. The Epoch Times is independent. We're not controlled by any special interest, and we never will be. This is a battle. A battle between truth and deceit. A battle between forces that would ensnare this country in ignorance and between a media that wants to present you with the truth. Subscribe today to our digital edition at theepochtimes.com and join the Americans who are seeking truth and tradition. Read the difference on all your devices. We'd love to have you on board.
5: Are you tired of the same old snacks? Looking for something a little healthier than that bag of chips or candy bar? Even your average bag of trail mix these days is little more than peanuts, raisins and candy coated chocolate. Not very healthy, is it? Allow me to introduce you to White Mountain Munchies. Made from 100% all natural ingredients, White Mountain Munchies combines unique flavors with nutritional value that will tingle your taste buds and strengthen and sustain your overall health and wellness. Eating good never tasted so good. From Maggie's Maple Madness to Hannah's Heavenly Harvest, Grayson's Getaway Goodies, and our limited edition Christmas blend, Jacoby's Jolly Jumble, White Mountain Munchies offers nutritious and delicious snacks that the whole family is sure to love. Pick yours up now through our easy to use online store at WhiteMountainMunchies.com. White Mountain Munchies, non GMO when you're on the go.
2: Continuing the legacy started in 1904, Roger Pellerin of Gate City Monument, Incorporated continues to provide the same high quality monument, custom headstone, and stoneworking craftsmanship today that they built their reputation on over 100 years ago. Servicing Nashua, New Hampshire, as well as nearby areas in Massachusetts such as Lowell, Bill Chelmsford, and beyond. From creating custom monuments to memorialize, to landscaping and granite work, or restorative services, each job is done to your satisfaction and is backed by decades of experience and integrity. If you're thinking about stonework, think Roger Pellerin of Gate City Monument. Visit online at gatecitymonument.com, stop by and meet Roger at 321 West Hollow Street in Nashua, or call 603-883-7141. That's 603-883-7141. 7141, Gate City Monument, Memorials of Distinction for People Who Care.
8: Spouting Off with Karen Catalina will return in a moment. Since 1930, United Way of Greater Nashua has been your trusted partner to fight for the health, education, and financial stability of every person in every community. When a low-income child needs access to dental care, or parents need quality after-school programs where their kids can learn and be safe, United Way is there. When a person with disabilities needs a supportive day program where they can thrive, or a family loses its home and needs a place to regain financial stability, United Way is there. When a homebound senior needs food and supportive social connections, or when it comes time to die with dignity. United Way is there. The programs supported by your United Way are the heart and soul of Greater Nashua. When you volunteer or donate to United Way, you lift up the community where you live and you work. As a highly regarded nonprofit with Charity Navigator and GuideStar, you can be sure that your donations will be used for the work of making Greater Nashua stronger, smarter, and safer. Learn more and connect with us at unitedwaynashua.org.
0: Sign up for Karen's newsletter and read her columns at karencataline.com. Now back to Spouting Off with Karen Cataline.
1: Welcome back, everyone, to Spouting Off. And as usual, we usually have a guest this segment, and we do. Somebody who you've heard on this program before. Dr. Mark Sherwood. He was a police officer, ran for governor of Oklahoma, and is in practice as a naturopathic doctor, along with his wife, Michelle Neal Sherwood, who's a DO, and they have a a successful medical practice in functional medicine. Uh, And he likes to talk about Uh, how you can better your health. That's part of what we're going to talk about. Welcome, Dr. Mark Sherwood, to the program.
5: Thank you for having me, Karen. It's good to hear your voice. I always appreciate
1: it. (laughs) It's always good to talk to you. So when I got the show notes, it said, quote, the true pandemic in in the U.S. is obesity and type 2 diabetes. And my first thought was, I'll tell you why. Because the minute you call anything a pandemic these days, it's just an excuse to allow more intrusions and dictates in people's lives from supposedly high places. We've been lectured to about these issues for years. And what I think the greater issue, but I will definitely want you to talk about, you know, obesity and type two diabetes. But what to me is the greater issue is the, the absolute ought to be sacrosanct line between uh between patients bill of rights the right to Mm self-determination and an overreaching health uh gargantuan establishment that tells you this is what you must do and any doctor who says differently uh we're going to punish him and we're going to punish you so that that was part of my problem so now, that's,
5: a, that's a great point. I appreciate that. The interesting thing about that is, you know, pandemics by definition are, are sort of this disease process that is so high and so unusual and so out of control compared to an endemic. And you're right. It's like the, the government took that concept. And I think, in my opinion, too, to echo yours, erroneously used it to mandate something for profit.
1: And control which is sometimes yeah. one and the same, to control and rob people of their rights and to dismantle the healthcare traditions of first do no harm and the patient's bill of rights. Uh, I do want to talk about that because it is such a, it is such, a, talk about a, <laughs> a true virus, the virus of doctors doing as they're told for money. I read about it every day. I want you to get to, but since, This was something you did want to talk about, about obesity and type 2 diabetes. I think we have enough time to do them both. So go for it.
5: Yeah, it's interesting, you know, with the the whole idea of informed consent, um, patient autonomy. Those things have kind of been blown out of the water over the last three years. Um, You think? (laughs) I find it it just sad. It's very grievous to me. My wife and I, um, we hurt for that because it's created quite deservedly a distrust for the system that is The system, in in our minds, has certainly sold out to profits over people. And and our comment on the idea of first do no harm, which was stated by the father of modern medicine, Hippocrates, thousands of years ago, is this. To prescribe medicine as a first-line therapy without talking about nutrition and lifestyle first actually is first doing harm. And that's absolutely the way we believe it.
1: Huh. Yes, and and um, something else that maybe we should go back and set a little bit of a background. I've come across this term before, and a lot of people don't know what it is. What is functional medicine and the Functional Medicine Institute? It seems to be a growing thing that a lot of people don't understand or know what, what that is even.
5: Well, the best way to kind of understand it is to sort of think about this, system as a river, a dam, and then above the river is like the reservoir. Downstream is like the river comes up, it's getting near your house. That would be like downstream medicine. So you go in the doctor, you have uh, some complainant symptom, and they prescribe a medication for you. It's symptom-based medicine. So here's a symptom, here's the medicine. Okay, that's fine, I guess, for certain limited situations if you've got some chronic pain that needs to stop because it's debilitating you for a period of time. But that's not dealing with the root cause of that condition. So go back upstream in that analogy, and you see the dam. The dam would be synonymous with our genes. And above that, you see the reservoir. That would be synonymous with our environment. So functional medicines, we're looking at the genes and the environment in the person's life that creates a scenario that may have led to the flooding or the illness. So we look at it like, okay, I hear you, patient A, with your symptoms. And I know you uh, want something for that, but let's talk about why the symptoms are occurring and go back upstream and figure it out. Eradicate the original root cause of the symptoms, eliminate the symptoms, making the disease process irrelevant. And so it's a whole different way to think about things. And I think it's a uh, I think it's it's probably been the original way it was supposed to be, and mm. somehow or another, over the last hundred years, we kind of uh, regressed from that, unfortunately.
1: You know what, doctor? We're talking to Doctor Mark Sherwood. Um, I, I I sometimes also wonder with the culture of health and what preceded this hysteria over COVID. COVID was this notion that um we can prevent any illness and disease it's all under our control when you you get to things like aging and and certainly there's better aging and worse aging but there does come a time in which you don't have a preconceived notion that every every illness and disease can be prevented if i just do this or do that sometimes it's aging Sometimes it's actually the, uh, as they say in the Lion King, the uh, circle of life going on, and people are so terrified of the circle of life that's how people were talked into putting a a rag on their face as somehow protecting them from a virus. No matter how many times people told them that's not going to work, it's like a chain link fence. Maybe you ought to mm-hmm. go play in dirt or something and maybe raise your, your <laughs> uh, uh, um, uh, tolerance for germs. Uh, but that being said, you, you see what I'm getting at. There's this, this yeah. fear of any kind of illness instead of realizing that, you know, life is challenging and you don't get through this life unscathed. And sometimes you get sick. You know? Yeah, that's
5: true. You, you do, and um, you know, you're, you're going to die. I mean, everybody needs to understand <laughs> yeah, that. Well, that's the bottom line that, are, that
1: people can't We're just yeah.
5: mortal flesh suits. My <laughs> wife calls it a skin bag, although she's got a great looking skin bag, right? <laughs> and so, but I'm like, you know, like, hey, um, you're going to die. You don't need to live life fearing death because if you live life fearing death, you're not living life. You're not living. And
3: <laughs> they so taught true.
5: us to do that over the last yeah. three or four years, and and what it's done, it's transitioned us to this idea that there's a pill for every ill or a vaccine yes. for every ill or whatever. And and it's taken away the ability of us to sort of self-govern and manage our life and do the things necessary that we are responsible for. So our own responsibility, yes. therefore, has been manipulated to be transferred to somebody else. And to me, that's the worst way to live because there's no <laughs> satisfaction in that. You just all depend on somebody else.
1: Not only that, doctor, but it makes people very scared, fearful, weak and pathetic creatures. If yeah. if if all doctors are gods, they don't get to advocate for their own health. If every little ill is caused to be terrified and I'm not saying that I'm immune to this, mind you. I'm just saying that we saw this. I mean, even the government has, has declared the pandemic over and yet people are in love with the pandemic there are still people walking around with rags on their face three and a half years later because they're terrified. I know a story, believe it or not, doctor, a man's wife has not left the house since Mm. early in 2020. She's terrified to live.
5: I find that just very sad. And and, and I know uh, stories like that as well, Karen, and it's very tragic. But you're right. Um, when people come into our office, and this is just to give people an idea of the way we think it should be, it is a partnership that's developed, a clinician and a patient partnership for the benefit of the patient. The patient has the autonomy to do whatever they want, and the clinician's job is to give them all the options and figure out more. And you work together to come up with the best solution to put this person in the place mm. of uh, disease resilience so they can live their life and not have to come in and, and be in your office with chronic things going on all yeah. the time and and you know people need to get their life back I'm all about teaching people to self govern that's why we talk to yeah. people about, about things like nutrition <laughs> and supplementation sleep exercise etc and want you know what I want to give you, so so you that
1: opportunity I want to give you that opportunity because that's what yeah. you came pr- pr- prepared uh, people may be wanting to know and there are no magic bullets but you talk about you, uh, you obesity and type 2 diabetes what do, if you we're put on the spot and you told people, okay, here's what you need to do to uh, address your obesity and your potential for type two diabetes. What are you going to tell people?
5: Well, first of all, I make a shock statement like this and say obesity is the fastest growing non-communicable disease in the history of, of the world. You know, let them think through that a minute. But, but then, then I would say, all right, if you eat food that's created in the package, God made it. And that's a very big statement. Just eat food that you can imagine growing in the Garden of Eden or walking in the bushes. That's food. Everything else is not and was never food. If you get yourself seven to eight hours of sleep, stay off of negative media and begin to move every day, realizing that sitting's new smoking, realizing that you're not born with medication deficiencies. And just get that through your mind. Those simple (laughs) concepts right there go a long ways towards remediating and avoiding these things.
1: Just like that, huh? It's not just like that. I think a lot of people, and of course I wrote a book called Fat Lash, so I have a few opinions on this. Mm -hmm. Um, And that doesn't mean I've found all the answers either because it's a lifelong struggle sometimes. But what about the people who are in kind of a, this is because my social work background, there are people who, are in kind of a, a vicious circle of they get depressed either about the world and about the state of affairs, and so they eat, and then they get mad at themselves for eating too much because they're emotional eaters, and and a lot of people are familiar with that now. We, You know, it isn't the food as much as the person eating it, just like it's not the gun, it's the person pulling the trigger. So mm. uh, what do you say to them about that? I mean, they get all caught up in, you know, should I eat low carb or low sugar or low fat or this or that? What do you say to the person who knows that they're an emotional eater and uh, they have a history long going back a long way?
5: Well, obviously, I'm trying to connect the emotions and the spiritual health and physical health together with them. So I want to really know, you know, kind of like what's eating them, so to speak. You know, what's the <laughs> issues and the right. background, right? And then, uh-huh. then I try to tell them this, don't diet. And, and I mean that. Live it and they're like, What? You know, so I talk about the abundance of the things they can eat and try to shift their thinking from all focused on what they should avoid to what they should be doing. And I give them permission to eat as much as they want from what they should be doing. And that goes contrary to what they're told because people struggle with that and are always told what they shouldn't do. And so I try to work with them that way and then I try to come up with coping mechanisms like when they are hungry or they think they are, to really analyze the fact, are they hungry, and have something to drink at that time, or go for a walk, and over time, working at one meal a day, or two meals a day, they begin to see some weight loss, see some success, and really enjoy that, and I celebrate those successes with them, as opposed to beat them up for their their fails, just keep encouraging them to get yeah, up,
0: police, and it gives them an right. outlet,
5: and place to really sort of grow and be them and learn the process. And it's not like a light switch. I wish it was in Uh everybody, but it's more like a dimmer switch. And you have to give them permission to operate a dimmer switch like that, brighter and brighter and better and better.
1: Great. We have about a minute, so tell everybody about your practice. If they want to contact you, get a hold of you to to learn more.
5: Well, I appreciate you having me again, Karen. People can reach out to Sherwood.tv. My wife and I would love to help people. Um, we help people all over the country. It's easy. We can do blood work, et cetera, et cetera. And we really want to live out the mantra of leading people down a pathway of true healing, giving them pathways to avoid and reverse disease processes. And if people want that kind of care, we're the ones to reach out to.
1: Great. And uh, say that uh, website again real quick.
5: Sherwood.tv. Sherwood.tv.
1: That's easy, Sherwood.tv. Thanks, Dr. Mark Sherwood, for joining us. Fascinating conversation. We really do appreciate it.
5: You're welcome. Thanks for having me
1: as always, Karen. Great. Great. Well, you know, and that's what it's about. It's about uh, knowing the difference between force and suggestion. It is up to us to make the decision because otherwise we're just slaves. We, you know, we don't want to be slaves. So keep speaking out. I'll have a more spouting off later in the week, Tuesdays, Thursdays, and Fridays at 1 p.m. Eastern when there is always so much to spout off about here on Spouting Off.